chapter 3. We're going through the Bible. We find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah. Most teachers don't teach Nehemiah chapter 3. I wanted to teach it because that's where we're at. We've been going through the Bible. We find ourselves in Nehemiah. And the reason I wanted to teach it was um, as I was reading through it, two things struck me. Um, Probably the biggest thing is that, you know, God cares about the smallest of details. And so as we've been going through the book of Daniel, then we did a summary for the book of Ezra. We started Nehemiah. Um, The nation of Israel was in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and they were um, just through God's chastening hand, disciplined by God because they were in disobedience. And so from that, Daniel's reading in the Bible, and he discovers that the 70 years are coming uh, to an end. He's reading the book of Jeremiah, and in there there's a prophecy that says that it's going to be 70 years that you're going to be held in Babylon in captivity uh, for 70 years. And so he realizes he's coming up to that time, and he begins to pray, and God gives him an incredible vision for his nation, his people. And then from there, Ezra begins to rebuild the temple once they come out of Babylonian captivity. And so three groups will come out of Babylon, and that first and second group begin to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah finds himself in the third group, born in Babylon, under Babylonian captivity, and he wants to fix the walls. He understands or he hears that the walls are in ruins, they're in shambles, they're burnt down, they're destroyed, and his desire is to come alongside and try to help fix what needs to be taken care of. And so it's, it's a book on ministry. It's a book on how to serve the Lord. It's a book on how we go about uh, being faithful to what God has called every one of us as his children to. And so I just, I think it's a neat book. Last uh, two chapters, in chapter one, we discovered that first he gets wind of the problem. In chapter two, he goes in to the king and he communicates, hey, um, you know, this is the condition, this is the situation. He had never been sad in the presence of the king prior to this day. He was the cupbearer. He was a, an advisor to the king. And so he, the king asked him, what's wrong with you? I've never seen your countenance sad. I've never seen you down. And so he goes to the king and he tells him, how can I not be sad? The walls of my father's house, my, my, my ancestors is in shambles and It's breaking my heart. And so the king asks him, how can I help you? What can I do? And he says, well, give me letters that will let me go through all the regions for the kings so they know that I have your backing and uh, they won't come against me and permission to be able to go and, and help in this project. And so the king gives him letters. He says also, though, give me also letters uh, for the forest I want wood. I want to be able to fix the, the walls. I want to fix the citadel. But I also need to, to resurrect a house that I'm going to stay in while I'm working. And so he gets all of this stuff. And then we find the work being done here in Nehemiah chapter 3. And um, a lot of names. And you guys know I love to pronounce names. I'm so good at it. And you'll probably watch me hack many of them. As I was reading, I read like 80 names and cities in the chapter. And so it's a tough chapter to get through. But 
Again, so that's one reason why I wanted to to read it. God cares about all of these people. And I want you to understand that God cares about you. He cares about what you do. He cares about how you work. He cares about what you do with your, your days, your minutes, you know, your hours. And so... Uh, it's just an interesting uh, little thing. And then there's these little nuggets as I was reading through it that I was able to get. Uh, the title of the message is Work Begins Close to Home. John Corson writes in chapter 3, the work begins. 38 men are listed in eight different locations. They usually worked closest to their homes, the place any work we do for the kingdom must begin because if it doesn't work at home, it won't work at all. And so it starts at home, it starts at home base, and that's where God would have us to blossom, right? Blossom where you're planted. So to be faithful in, for many of us, what seems maybe monotonous things, things that are commonplace, things that, oh, what's the big deal how I, how I take care of this area of my home or, or, or help out over here? Well, God cares. God cares about those things, and he cares about how you relate to people under your roof and he cares how you get along and he cares how you're allowing him to work in your heart to to show you that you're not perfect but he wants to help you and so all of that um, I was able to just draw from this so let's pray and ask God to bless this time father we thank you for your word and we thank you that you care you care about little details lord you care about uh, names to be able to document and to document them in the Bible so that we can be able to see them and read them. There's a historical record here, an account of individuals that did your work. And so, Lord, these were regular people, people that just simply made themselves available to you. There's a work that needed to be done, and Father, that work continues. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word as we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 says, Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up, with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hanel. So Pastor John Corson in his application Bible has, all of these gates are a picture of our walk with God. And so the first gate that's mentioned, and the way it works is, picture just a big, gigantic, whatever shape this is. I don't know what this is, oval? I don't know, but this is the shape, okay? So here at the top, north, is the temple. And at the temple, the first gate that leads into the temple is the sheep gate. As you go over here to the west side, you're going to have all these gates along here. As you go to the bottom, the the farthest point of the temple, you're going to have the refuse gate where the trash and the dung is thrown at the bottom because you have animals, right, for sacrifices, horses. There's a horse gate. Um, all of those things. And so on the west, east, east side over here, I'm sorry, you're going to have other gates and then all of, ultimately you're going to end back up at the sheep gate. Now the way they worked was wherever they were, their lived, their houses were, that's where they got involved. And so if their house was closest to this gate, that's where they would work. If it was closest to this gate, that's where they would work. And so just a neat little dynamic of an account that's taking place. So the first gate that we see is the sheep gate. Your walk with God begins at the sheep gate. The Bible says uh, in Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so life begins at the sheep gate, where our Christian walk 
begins, okay? Or your Christian walk, not your life. Uh, I would be 21 years old leading up to the time where I would be, I guess, introduced, if you will, to the sheep gate. And my life didn't begin until I found God, until I became a Christian. Now, God wants to use all that 21 years of history mostly to remind me I was lost. I was going to hell in a handbasket. I was lost without him. And so when I was introduced with Christ, that's where my life really took off and began. And then if I look back at my life before that, I could see God's hand miraculously on my life, saving me mostly from myself. I should have been dead long ago. And for some reason, God just preserved me. He just saved me. And so our life begins at the sheep gate, verses 2 and 3. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And so number two, you have the fish gate. Um, After you become a Christian, you realize that supernaturally, somewhere inside of you, you care. You care mostly about the things that God cares about. And God's number one care is people. He cares about people. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so after the sheep gate, after you come, you're introduced to Christ. You realize that God sent his son to die for you on the cross and that he rose to prove the who he was, who he said he was, then you, you just realize that somewhere inside, man, you start caring about the things that God cares about. And you come to the fish gate. And you want to see people saved. You want to see people impacted for Christ. If you really love someone, you want to see them delivered from sin and self. Um, so I remember early in my walk, I just remember, I, I didn't know how to share. But what I did was I wanted to get people in front of God's word. And so I remember just buying a bunch of my friends Bibles. All of my friends, by the way, would end up leaving me. They, none of them wanted to hang out after I became this Jesus freak or whatever, you know, they pictured it as, you know, this light was exposing their darkness. Man, I just loved them. And I was just, I wanted to tell them about what this thing that I found and man, I, just, whoo, and I remember going to our 10 year reunion after I got saved and people were like, man, bro, let's, go to the parking lot and smoke some weed, bro. And I'm like, nah, I ain't even about that anymore. Let me tell you what I found, man. It's like, yeah, they just didn't get it. They didn't want it. They didn't want anything to do with it. But all of my friends, I, I bought them Bibles. And I look back and I, I just see that God had did something. I didn't want to buy anybody a Bible before I was a Christian. Why would I, I want to buy someone a Bible, right? But as a baby Christian, I just realized, man, I just want them to know the truth. I want them to have light. I want them to know the love that I've come in contact with. And so you go from, again, that sheep gate to the fish gate, and then verses 4 and 5. And, the next, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel made repairs next to them. Zadok, the son of Baana, made repairs next to them. Uh, the Telkites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. I, I, that, that just jumped out for me. You know, that, that little, but their nobles did not put their shoulders 
to the work of the Lord. So you have all these people that are signing up, volunteering. Hey, the wall needs to be rebuilt. The temple's up. Let's build the wall so that it'll protect Jerusalem. It'll protect the temple. And this is what God wants. Come on, let's go to work. But you have this group that it's mentioned here for all of us to be able to read. And that's like, bro, that's embarrassing. They didn't, they, but did they know? Did they know that that's how they were supposed to do it? Did they know that God desired their best, their first fruits? That God wanted them to do everything that they did. He wanted them to, to put some serious effort into it. Not to just dial it in or, or I'm going to do it better than... No, no. So whatever we take on in the, the Bible, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Within the book of Ecclesiastes, as Solomon summarizes life, he says in verses 13 and 14, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so God cares. God cares about the little things. And so how we wash the dishes and put them away, how we volunteer to do this, that, or the other. And then definitely as it pertains to God's work, definitely as it pertains to, well, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll volunteer. I'll I'll sign up. I want to help out with that. Well, God cares how we go about all of these different little things. Moving on in verse 6. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Basodia, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And so we come to the old gate. The old gate, the solid teachings and doctrines of the word. We come back to the word of God. We recognize that life is found in God's word, that he's given us instructions for how to live. He's not left us orphan or without instructions or without understanding of how he wants us to treat one another, of how he wants us to work and provide for ourselves. And all of these different things are found in the word. Jeremiah 6.16, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So we don't want to be those who Isaiah was speaking to. The old way, the old paths is simply the word of God. Remember this truth. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. It's found in the scriptures. I've, in my life of being a Christian, I've seen things cycle back through. Old lies come again and again and again. So be careful if it's not found in God's word. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, the Bible declares that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Those things are found in Jesus. Those things are proclaimed in the word of God. And so there's nothing that's not in the word of God that we need. It's all right here for us as we get to sit under the word and grow. In Isaiah chapter 28, they were making fun of how they studied the Bible. It says in verse 10, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It was a mockery of those who were studying the word. Why do you guys study the Bible? You guys like read the whole Bible. Oh my gosh. Like you already read it once. Why do you need it again? Because it's alive. It, it transforms us from the inside out. 
It changes us. God speaks through his word. He elevates his word above his what? Name. How powerful is the name of God? It's the only name that you can be saved in. And yet he says, I elevate my word even above my name. My name is significant, but my word is even that much more. And so his word is very important and that we would come back to the old gate, to the simple message of the gospel. The fact that we can be good, but we'll never be good enough for entrance into heaven. I, I like to challenge people with, well, I don't even know if it's true, man, this whole God thing and the Bible and Christianity. All right, all right, here, here's a challenge for you. Here, here's a challenge. You don't believe it, you don't buy it, you have a different belief. Do one thing for me and then get back with me after this. Just be good for one day. J- just be good. And, and, and good according to your definition because the Bible declares that God has put the law in your heart. Treat people right. Say the right things to the degree that you're supposed to say them. Think the right thoughts. All of that. Do the right actions. Go ahead and do that for a day and let me know how that worked out for you. And inevitably, what's going to happen? Oh, I can't. I can't be good because I wanted to suck that guy in the face because he cut me off or whatever, right? They're going to come back at you and let you know it's not in us to be good. We're, We're sinful. We're just horrible. And so we come back to the old gate. We recognize that God's word has something for us. Starting at verse 7, and the next, next to them, Melatiah the Gibeonite, Jaden the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel the son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs also. Next to him, Hananiah <clears throat> or Haniah. No, it is Hananiah. Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs, and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephi, the son of Hur, leader of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramuphah. Uh, I messed that one up. Harumath, yeah, that. Made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Haz, uh, oh my gosh, Beniah, made repairs. Melchiah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath, Moab, repaired another section as well as the Tower of the Ovens. Verse 12. And next to him was Shalem, the son of Helohesh, leader of the half district of Jerusalem. Notice, he and his daughters made repairs. Isn't that neat? He has a job to do, and the amount of work that he gets done is five football fields in length. He recruits his girls, his daughters, and says, hey, can you help me out? Reminded me of Acts chapter 21, Philip, as he serves the Lord. It says in verses 8 and 9 in Acts chapter 21, On the next day, he who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So Philip would be one who would recruit his daughters and the gifts that they had to be able to serve in the ministry. And so that just blesses me having four daughters. Just something that, you know, rings true for me. Um, Did I skip one? We did the old gate. No. Yeah, he and his daughters. Here we go. 
If you go down to verse 13, you'll see Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. So here we have two gates mentioned, the valley gate and the refuse gate. The valley gate is times of trials and difficulties. Testing always follows teaching. So after that old gate where you come back to the word, you sit under the word, you're taught something, you realize that that quiz, sometimes it's a pop quiz, sometimes it's an announced test, right? But nonetheless, after you learn a lesson, the testing is going to come. How do we know if we truly have faith as we go through difficulties and trials, we see what we run to, we see what we depend on, we see what we're leaning on for what we need. And so... That's what the valley gate speaks of, times of trial and difficulty. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. We all go through times of testing. We all go through times of trials. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so we have the valley gate, times of testing, times of trials. After that, the refuse gate, the refuse gate or the dung gate. When we're in the valley, John Corson writes, we invariably say things we shouldn't do, uh, we shouldn't do things we ought not, have attitudes that are amiss, So we need to go through the refuse gate to admit our failure and confess our sins. It's like when Peter um, told Jesus that he wouldn't allow him to wash his feet. So Jesus girds himself with a towel and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And um, they're all allowing him. And then Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Like That's embarrassing. You know, I got corn chips on my toes or something. I don't know. Uh, but he says, no, you can't wash my feet. And Je- Jesus tells him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then so Peter says, well, okay, Jesus, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my whole body. Here's my head. Give me a shower, a bath. And Jesus says, no, he who is clean doesn't need to be cleaned again. It's just your feet will pick up things as you walk in this world. You pick up earth. You pick up worldliness as you go through things and you walk. And every once in a while, confession for us is what that is. That's the same exact thing that Jesus was picturing in that opportunity to get their feet washed. They were saved. Right? They were his disciples, but Jesus needed to wash their feet. That for us is confession. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, uh, let's see, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so our confession, what it does is it helps us to realize as we go through times of testing, And we come to this refuse gate and we need to realize, man, I I really blew that. I really messed that up. Lord, can I confess that to you? I agree with you. I didn't do that well. I didn't do that in the right way. I didn't do that the way that you you would have had me to do it. So, Lord, I'm going to confess that to you. And what happens? You're forgiven. And you're made right with God and you have union and communion with God once again. But I think what it does is it helps us to be humble. Because we realize that we don't have the strength to do what God is calling us to. We, 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 we can't obey perfectly. 
And so as we go through life and as we go in the world, we just realize, man, I need to confess and repent. And now we're relying on God, trusting in God to be able to help us to be able to do what he's calling us to do. It creates humility and it creates dependence on God, not dependence on self. And so that's the refuse gate. As you jump down to verses 14 and 15, you'll notice the fountain gate. The fountain gate speaks of receiving power from the Lord to live the abundant life he calls us to. D.L. Moody came to a point in his ministry where he looked himself, locked himself in a hotel room, determined not to leave until he had the power of the Holy Spirit upon his life. Three days later, he emerged, and the world hasn't been the same since. And so as we come to the fountain gate, we realize that God has a spigot, and his spigot is turned on full blast. And his desire is always to pour out his glory upon his kids. If we would be under that spout where the glory comes out, if you will. And that's the fountain gate for us. Acts 1.9 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so God wants to give us what we need to be able to do what he's called us to do. As we continue on in verses 16 through 20, jump over to verse 20. Interesting little observation I made there. Verse 20 says, After him, Barak, Baruch, uh, yeah, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door uh, of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And so you see right there, carefully Repaired. Remember in verse 5 we had did not put their shoulders to the work here in verse 20. They carefully repaired the other sections. And again, I just saw that as, man, God, you got 66 books in the Bible. You got 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. There's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't talk about. There's something I wish the Bible talked about, and it's not in here. But God makes these tiny little notes of how people work. He's making, he's watching, he's observing. And, and sometimes I think, you know, we do little things and we're like, well, nobody, nobody even saw that. Like nobody even cares. God knows. He cares. He cares when we have step just as much as he cares when we bring him our best and we do something as small as this. Where did it go? Let me find it. Carefully repaired the other section. Check out these two verses. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. The word mind in the Hebrew is the most secure part. Literally, the word is translitiate. What is it? Trans... The actual translation of the word is literally... Kidneys. I test the kidneys. The innermost part of you. I'm, 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 I'm testing that. Notice why he tests it. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So whether we're one who carefully repaired the other sections, or unfortunately sometimes whether we're individuals who didn't put their shoulders to the work of the Lord, God cares. He cares how we do what we do. And 
I got to be honest with you, I haven't quite found a balance of knowing. Like sometimes there's just things that you can't do as well as you wish you could. I don't know if you found that. That's a frustration for me in life. Just sometimes I want to do everything, man, just to the best, if you will, of my ability. Or I want to give my all in all. But just life is, has more responsibilities, doesn't it, sometimes, than we can do our, our very best. And so I, I struggle with that. God cares. And I'm sure he even knows when we can't do as well as we wish we could. God cares about that. If you read all the way down to verses 21 through 26, you'll get to the water gate. It was at the water gate that Ezra would proclaim the word in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Nehemiah 8, 8, the Bible says, So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, Paul, speaking to husband, says that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And so you come to the water gate and you realize that it's a reference to God's word and how it washes us, it cleanses us. Verses 27 and 28 speak of the horse gate. The horse gate speaks of the rapture and the return of Jesus. Revelation 19 verse 14, the Bible says, And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So as we're going through, we just recognize that these are all pictures of our walk with God. Verse 29, it mentions the east gate. It is the east gate through which Jesus will enter in his second coming. In 1100 AD, when the Turks heard the east gate was the gate Jesus would enter, they walled it up and sealed it shut. But in so doing, they inadvertently fulfilled prophecy of Ezekiel 44 that says, the east gate shall be sealed until he returns. So in one scripture, it says that the Messiah is going to come through the east gate. The Turks get a hold of that. They read it in 1100. They seal the gate, but they miss reading Ezekiel 44 that says the gate's going to be sealed up until Messiah comes. Fulfillment. In verses 30, 30 and 31, we see this thing called the Mifkad gate. M-I-P-H-K-A-D. Mifkad gate. Mifkad literally means judgment. Believer and unbeliever alike are going to be judged. Never will you be judged as a Christian for heaven. That is secured for you. Jesus took that on for you. Never will you be punished for your sin, but you will be judged. You'll be judged for what you do with this life that God has given you. You'll be judged for your motives and why you do what you do. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so that's for Christians. Christians will be judged for the motives of our hearts, for why we did what we did. And that will appear as rewards in heaven for us. But the unbeliever as well will be judged And they'll be judged to eternal condemnation according to Revelation chapter uh, 20, verses 11 through 15. Let me read that to you. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I find it interesting there in Revelation 20 when it talks about the judgment of those unbelievers. It's talking about all these works and these books that have these works documented. Remember the disciples had come up to Jesus. Actually, it was the religious leaders who came up to Jesus and said, What are the works of God that we must do to be able to go to heaven? And Jesus said, The work, singular, not works. How can I work my way to heaven? What good thing do I need to do? How can I make sure that I have entrance into heaven? Jesus says, the work of God is that you believe in him whom he sent. You believe in Jesus. The way to heaven, the access to the Father. And so here in Revelation chapter 20, where it says at the end that anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those are individuals who didn't do that one singular work. They didn't surrender their hearts to God. They didn't accept, receive Christ into their life as Lord and Savior. In verse 32, the last verse, let's read it. You'll notice we end where we began. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. We started at the north side, right entering into the temple, that first gate, the sheep gate. We came along the west side, came down at the bottom to the dung gate. We come up here. We have the east gate, the horse gate, all of those. And then at the top, we come back to the sheep gate. Everything both begins and ends with Jesus, the Lamb of God. John one twenty nine. the Bible says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9, we read it in our time of responsive reading this morning. The Bible says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Couldn't be clearer, could it? Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to the Father. The sheep gate, fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the refuse gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, the judgment gate, which is the mifkad, and then back to the sheep gate. A parallel of our walk with God as we continue. May it always begin and end with Jesus. And any time you're not sure where you're at, any time you're not sure where you're supposed to be, come back to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'll, I'll uh, end here. Um, Christmas can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. We go through seasons in life. Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th. Don't get in those kind of arguments. He was probably born somewhere in August. Uh, so that, all that stuff is irrelevant to, you know, anything. The fact is Jesus came into the world and he was born. He was prophesied. It was prophesied and he fulfilled all of the prophecies. And the fact that 
Jesus fulfilled them. It's just a miracle that one person can fulfill this, and Jesus was that one. Born in a manger in Bethlehem, and just all of these prophecies given throughout hundreds of years before they would take place. And so Christmas for many of us oftentimes means, you know, getting with the in-laws, the outlaws, people that, you know, we kind of want to be with sometimes, maybe not want to be with other times. But just my thing is let's just try to be a light. Try to be a blessing. Try to look for opportunities to serve. You know, there's always something to do, always somebody to help out. You see somebody struggling with two plates because they're, you know, they're gluttons and they're eating too much. Hey, let me help you carry that. Come on, let's go. Where are you sitting? You know, help them out, you know, and just try to be that light. Try to be that example of somebody who's, you know, don't, don't, don't get into politics. This ain't the time, rarely the time, but definitely family gatherings. You know, don't get into arguments unnecessarily. The Bible says to give to every man an answer of the hope that lies within you to those who ask. And so if somebody wants to know something, hopefully they're asking. If they're not asking, and just be a blessing. I don't know. We look for opportunities like some Christians, they just want to fight. They want to argue. You're not going to arm wrestle anyone into the kingdom. You're not going to fight somebody into the kingdom. You'll fight them if you're fighting right, right, on your knees, praying for them. But we we don't fight people into the kingdom. And so there's a lot of people that I have in my life that, I think the message of the gospel is precious. And the Bible says don't cast your pearls before swine. And so there's people that I have, unfortunately, my family, I just talk to them about whatever it is that interests them. Sometimes we're talking about sports. Sometimes we're talking about things that, that those are the things that they're in, cars or whatever, things that they're interested in. But if they want to ask a question, I'll be more than happy to share with them what the Bible says and the truth. And my life is a demonstration of a transformed life. Anybody in my family who knew me before, before I became a Christian, anybody who knew me before I became a Christian, they know, whoa, that's a drastic change. So you were a drunk, an alcoholic, right? You, you, you did drugs. You, you were just, you were jacked up, right? Yeah, totally different now. And it's not a fake and phony thing. They've been able to watch it for 30-something years. And so if they ask, I give an answer. But don't look for arguments. Don't look to to be, again, that one that's going to arm wrestle someone into the kingdom. Just share. Share what God is doing. Think about that verse that we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall, it's a command. It it means it's going to happen. But you shall receive power, dudamis, dynamite power from the Lord. To be, not to witness, but to be a witness for me. Jerusalem, home base, Judea. Samaria, the outcasts, Judea is the bigger surrounding area, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You're going to be a martyr. The word witness is martyr. It's martis in the Greek, from which we get our English word martyr. As you die to self in front of people, little by little, you're dying to self. The light of God is shining through you because your dependence is upon God. You're pointing people to God. It's not about you. And it's not about how perfect you can be because your perfection is fake. Your perfection is phony. You can't do it. You can't be it. But as you little by little allow God to be seen through your life in the reality of whatever it is you're going through and you struggle with, people begin to see, wow, that's an awesome God. He loves you, but you're imperfect. Yeah, yeah. That's my gracious God. 
he loves you and you haven't figured it all out yet? Yeah, yeah. That's, man, again, yeah, that's, yeah, I haven't figured it all out yet. But that's my God. He loves us in spite of us. And I think that's the reality of what people want to see. Not some religious, fake, phony, charlatan, some inauthentic, whatever you're trying to portray or put out there. You'll be a, a witness. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be a witness for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We die little by little in front of people that we love so that we can point them to the one who died for us. And he's the one with the answers. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time of year and that we can reflect on the reality of life with you, spending eternity with you. Lord, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and we can do nothing without you. And so, Lord, may we continue to learn that and grow in that, understanding that. And so, Father, I pray for each one here as they have an opportunity, Lord, to just be with friends and family during this time of the year, Father, that you would use them as your lights, that you would use them as salt, a preserving agent in this putrefying world. And Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen them and their inner man and that they would be the blessing that you desire them to be. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.